It's got a soul, this here old farm It falls asleep inside my arms We walk the fields under the stars For love is here in Goldshaw Farms Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And right now, I am just getting home from working a day job. I am working really hard to try to start a sustainable farm here uh, on our property up in northern Vermont. But right now, farming ain't paying the bills for me. Um, In fact, I am just barely making money. I have the ambition to to scale things up here and grow larger and one day make farming my primary source of income, but I know I'm a ways off. I have infrastructure I need to build. I have skills I need to develop. I have a brand and a market that I need to grow. All of those things need to really come together before I feel like I'm going to be ready to take the leap. But that said, I do like talking to people who have taken the leap. Because I find that every time I talk to a farmer, a full-time farmer, somebody who's making most of their income from growing food or or raising livestock, I find that as I talk to those folks, I learn so much. Whether they're a gigantic commodity-focused dairy farmer who's doing stuff by conventional methods or a teensy-tiny micro farm in a city, in each conversation I have with those folks, I learn about how they think about managing their business how they think about profitability, how they think about keeping their own energy up. And I just take away so much. My guest today is Scott Hebert of Flavorful Farms. Scott has a small farm out in British Columbia, and he is making his living off of growing only four specific crops, four specific uh, vegetables. And, And I think that that's pretty impressive because he's got a very focused and efficient business model. And Scott's just an interesting guy in general, too. Just a ton of energy, a ton of big ideas. And I often bill him as one of the smartest people in agriculture that I know. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Scott. There was just a lot of interesting stuff in here. And I'll be back at the end to wrap it all up. Back in high school, I would say that I was kind of a, a loser. I was definitely uh, overweight. You know, um, I didn't really have many interests. I, I liked making videos and stuff, and I thought that's what I was going to do professionally. I thought I was going to do, like, something on the back end, like be a director or, or something like that. But, um, yeah, like, the farming thing really didn't um, – it didn't happen for quite a while. I, w- I felt like I was kind of lost and drifting a little bit after high school. Um, I ended up starting to do martial arts and I, like I said, I was really overweight and I, um, I ended up losing like 80 pounds and I kind of transformed myself into, I, I kind of feel like that through martial arts, I kind of went through like a little bit of a, like a rite of passage a little bit. I kind of feel like that I became a man, figured out some of my stuff, figured out more who I was. And, um, I really liked helping other people lose weight and get in the gym and stuff. And then I ended up, my parents have five acres up here in, uh, Chilliwack, BC, which is on the West coast of Canada. And, um, uh, they have two houses on there, and I actually ended up purchasing part of the property from them. And so I was living on this property, um, thinking 
that I loved like eating like organic food and all this good stuff. And I was like seeing all the health benefits of like eating whole food. And I thought, man, wouldn't that be cool if I could figure out a way to make money doing this? But I knew most farms did not make money. And I had already been through this whole journey of doing martial arts and stuff. And I, at the end of it, I was left in a much better spot than where I started. But I didn't have any skills that were making me money. So I, I, I really knew what it was like to have these skills that like didn't kind of um, pay out for my life so much. And I really thought that if I wanted to do this farming thing, that um, I wanted to figure out a way to make money. So I tried to look for profitable farming models that I could do on my farm. And I didn't care if that was going to be livestock or fruit trees or whatever. I was looking for the right answer. I wasn't looking for a specific answer. I was looking for the right answer for my context for my life. And so it took a long time because like... Like everybody else, I was into the regenerative stuff and the permaculture stuff originally, right? You know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, I just like fell in love with all of that area. And then you find out that that's kind of not the most profitable ways to be going, right? So um, so it took a long time. I did, I did a PDC, um, which is a permaculture design certificate. And I ended up doing, trying to figure out all these different ways. And then um, somebody told me about this spin farming thing. And I was like, oh, what's spin farming? It was this small plot intensive. It was these this guy in Saskatchewan, Wally, had um, developed this system for growing um, a, a, a lot of vegetables in a small space. Then I found about this guy named Curtis Stone, who really took the spin farming model and had dialed it up to like 11. And um, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. At the same time, Curtis was like, Curtis's stuff was just kind of starting to get started then. He was just writing a book and everything. But um, I found about who Curtis was. Uh, he lived two and a half hours away from me and I um, had contacted him and asked him if he did like consultations or anything. And he said, yes. So I went up there, met him, did a consultation, figure out what I was going to need. It ends up like at the exact same time he was starting an online course. He was writing a book and he actually really took me kind of under his wing a lot and um, just showed me, showed me the ropes, like what I was going to be doing. And then I just basically went home from, from that consultation and started my farm. Wow. <laughs> that yeah. was a lot of a lot of terrain in, in a little bit. Like yeah. as you as you look though at that model of farming and you know you you're learning from Curtis, you're you know focusing on intensive market gardening. What does your farming model look like today? Okay, so um I have four different crops, field crops I do. I pretty much do lettuce, spinach, arugula and red russian kale. And then I'm selling those and I'm putting them into mostly into five ounce bags and taking them to local grocery stores. Um, I'm also selling to an aggregator. So I'm an hour away from Vancouver, BC. So if I was going to get customers out there, it takes a long time to drive in. But there's this aggregator. And what the aggregator is, is they have an online platform where I upload my products to it. And then restaurants and hotels downtown Vancouver can select my products. I take it to a local drop off point. I meet a delivery truck and then they take it all the way in and distribute it. Um, to other places. And then I got a couple restaurants, but it's pretty much all leafy greens at this point in time. So why don't you grow multiple crops? Why do you just focus on the four? Because you, because, uh, well, first of all, I'm the only person working on my farm right now. Um, but you want to, I think, well, not you, but I want to limit the amount of complexity on my farm. I want to have everything be um, as efficient and low layers of complexity as I can, because every time that you add another layer of complexity, and meaning by that I mean like another crop or another revenue stream or or uh, you know animals on top of what you're doing, um, your workload doesn't increase linearly; it increases exponentially with with these different things. So I've been very um, cognizant and conscious of of trying to keep the layers of complexity on my farm low. So now if I'm adding um, instead of adding 
extra crops, if I have to increase my sales by adding extra bed feet, it doesn't increase uh, the complexity of my farm because I'm just planting out more. It might take it might take a little bit longer to plant out. It might take a little bit longer to harvest, and it definitely takes longer to wash and pack. But it's not increasing. Um, I don't have to worry about managing anything else. I don't have to worry about where am I going to keep these extra seeds. I don't have to worry about how many extra bed spaces do I need to have broccoli and tomatoes and cucumbers and all these different things. Um, so by keeping by limiting myself to those four crops right now, um, it's really it it makes it extremely manageable. That that makes a lot of sense, and it's funny right now as we are going from having just ducks on our farm to ducks and geese on the farm. I'm realizing that. Yeah, it's not just like adding a few extra ducks. It's a whole nother skill set and it's a whole nother thing to focus in on and do. And that's just making it a whole heck of a lot harder. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure that like you, you too, you got you get these ideas in your head and you're like, OK, well, well, ducks and geese, they're pretty much the same. And then you get out there and you're like, oh, wait, this is this is not the same. This is not the same thing at all. Um and it, it seems kind of it, it seems very counterintuitive that you just can't like, you know, you, you have 40. How many ducks do you have? Uh, about let's see 15 ducks and about 30 geese right now yeah so you think you're gonna be you think you're gonna be adding these and it's like okay we'll just we'll just double our flock and then it's just like oh man there's the layers of complexity that it just gets it just things get really messy really fast and i think it's also easy to it's also easy to add things at the beginning of the year but but as those things progress and um they take more work and stuff to get going during the summer months um, that's when you're going to run into those problems. I guess, though, it's interesting, though, that you took it as you looked at farming as sort of how do I make some money doing this and, and kind of going from that profitability mindset, whereas I see a lot of people and they're going in it from kind of the heart aspect of, oh, it would be so good to live this lifestyle where I'm growing food and selling it at a market and doing all this stuff. H- how did you end up going at it from that angle? And what do you think about people who are going it from the other? Um, I think that a lot of people like especially me too all come in with like uh like curtis stone has a saying to keep your ideologies in your back pocket and when i like when i first started i was definitely very ideological minded i had all these ideas about um providing my community with good food and saving the earth and you know permaculture multi-crop biodiverse farm and like all this different stuff but um you have to try to have the courage to see reality for what it is not what you want it to be and for me to have a farm that I was still going to be doing in five years, I needed to make money doing it. I'm not rich. <laughs> I, have a, I have a little bit of money, but like not tons, right? So I, I can support myself not making very much for a little bit, but I need this to be supported by itself 100%. You know, um, like there's different things that I want out of my life. I would like to like be in a relationship and have kids and stuff eventually and to have those things I can't I can't just be working all the time like there's no point in like I don't want to have a farm that I can't enjoy also enjoy my those other aspects of my life too so that's kind of where I really approach it from and then I thought that I will start this try to figure out how to make money first so that I can get to year three so that I can get to year four so that I can get to year five and then I can start doing the funner type permaculture uh things and you know low till and all that stuff and and as i've been going over the last couple of years um it's it's been happening i've I've started to make more environmentally conscious choices and, and do things like that what's been the hardest part towards getting to that profitability point um there's so many there's just so much to it you have especially being a solo entrepreneur you have to do all the pieces so it's like I don't come from a farming background at all so it's like first of all i need to learn how to grow all the stuff but at the beginning, you don't even know what you should be growing because you don't know what's going to be selling. 
So you have to grow too many things at first and then some things go really bad and then some things are really easy. And it's just like, there's just, I think the, I think that the, the, like the complexity of it, like how many different layers, like the layers of complexity. And that's why, that's also why, like I try to keep it low so that I could, I could start to um, try to manage those things rather than be overwhelmed by them. Mm. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point there with the idea of it's not just about growing the stuff, it's about selling it and it's making sure important. you have oh, right and, and making sure you have that market for it. Um, you know, I think sometimes people get into farming and they almost have this kind of entitled point of view to say, oh, I'm going to grow this stuff and people are just going to come and buy it because they should buy it. And, and yeah. it doesn't work that way. No, no, no. And I, I'm 100, 120 million percent guilty of doing that too, right? I definitely thought that my whole farm would have would have progressed a lot faster. I thought I could have made everything happen a lot faster. And it's just been slow. But it's really funny as I've been talking to different, like now I have like really good relationships with my grocery stores and stuff. And we like, we go in and we talk about business, right? And um, one of my stores opened up like a new store and da, 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 da. But everybody thinks that their ideas are going to work out way faster than they have. I've been talking to people over the past couple of weeks, my, all my stores and my restaurant guys, one guy just added a dinner service to his restaurant. And it's like, they had like one person come in on Friday. It doesn't even pay for like the staff. Right. And it's just like, everything is just takes so much slower in reality than, than you like anticipate. And it, yeah, so you got to get those sales and get them up. And it's like, but you got to get through that dip of, of, of not like, you know, kind of wading through that uncertainty. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, I've noticed this thing where there's a lot of farmers out there, whether they're on the really large scale and they're doing big commodity crops or they're on the smallest of scales and they're just doing like almost expanded, you know, gardening um, where, where there's a lot of entitlement, whether they're looking for subsidies to keep crop prices stable or just expecting the people to buy their stuff because they've got this compelling story. How do you make sure you don't come at it with that entitled mindset? Um, I think you have to, it's, it's hard, man. It is really hard because it like, it, it does feel like there's, do you know what a vocation is? A vocation is like a, it's like a job that it's like a job that, but you feel like called to it. And I think a lot of people feel like that this is not just a job. This is not just a career, but this is like a vocation. This is like something that you were called to do. Like I talk about being called to the land. Like I was called to the land. And I think a lot of people can, can relate to that. Um, but when, but with that, it, it definitely seems um, you, yeah, you get very entitled on it because it's, it's like, it's like, can't you see like what I'm doing? Like I'm sacrificing. I could make, I could make so much more money doing something else and I'm not because I love you guys and I love doing this. And, um, but like, yeah, you have to, like I said before, you kind of have to have the courage to see reality for what it is, not you, not what you want it to be. And, and at the end of the day, if your lettuce is worth $5 a pound, that's what the market dictates. It doesn't matter how much work you had to do to, to get that lettuce to harvest. It doesn't matter if you got rained out. It doesn't matter um, what happens. Um, it's, it's, yeah, you got to try to see reality for kind of what it is. But yeah, fighting that entitlement is, is definitely, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. And I can see why a lot of people like uh, feel that entitlement, especially if they feel like it's more of a vocation rather than even just like a career, right? Right. No, I, I think it, ma- it makes perfect sense where... Yeah, you can feel that passion and you can feel that inspiration, but you can't expect other people to carry that for you. You've got to recognize that if you want their business, you got to earn that business. 
oh yeah and provide a good product and good services and like there's just so much that that goes into it and like but it's really funny though because like after you start developing like like the biggest thing that i've grown on my farm has been relationships and like my relationships with my grocery stores and my customers are like rock solid like i like my guys swing for me like they get me other customers now they do things for me they want to run sales on my stuff they want me to come in and do samplings like they want like they want to push my product as much as i want to push my product and like having those relationships and stuff is like so important but it takes it takes a while to to develop those but like but like I come in every week and I bring what I say that I'm going to bring. And if um, I have crop shortages or whatever, I tell them when I find out, not like on Friday, like show up with like not very much. So, so they get screwed over. Right. So it takes a long time to kind of develop that trust and that confidence. But like, but like once you do like the relationships that I do have now are, are like rock solid. So, mm. yeah. What are, I mean, beyond that, doing what you're saying you're going to do and, and providing them a good product, what are the other keys to building those strong relationships? Uh, you just, I think you, I think though, I think those are like two of them. I, I try, I just try to always be kind to, uh, to people. Like it doesn't matter like who it is type of thing. Uh, I just, yeah, tr I definitely try to be kind to people. Um, cause you never know, you never know what's going to happen. Like you never know who knows who or who knows what. And I think that um, I think that just by like getting out there and doing stuff like like now that I'm into so this is my fourth year farming my second full time and like now I have stuff coming to me like last year I had stuff coming to me but now this year I'm having even more stuff coming to me and it's like when you're first starting out at the beginning and stuff you're like you're like oh you're struggling like you don't know where you're gonna sell this stuff and like you don't have any of these relationships and stuff but then those relationships like they just keep going they keep going they keep going and and eventually it just like it starts to all like it feels like that i was like pushing a rock uphill and like maybe now i'm kind of getting to that, that crest and it's still not like rolling but but it, it feels a lot lighter now the workload <laughs> that's a good analogy as, as you're getting up that hill though what are you doing or what do you see yourself doing to kind of push it up to try to get even further up the hill um, I probably am going to have to hire someone. I think that would help quite a lot just because um, you can't do everything alone, right? Um, it's definitely a lot easier if you if you have someone else to help you out and do all that stuff. But I have to get my sales up to a point in time um, or up to a place where, uh, you know, I'm able to provide someone with like steady income and if it's comfortable for me and for them. And I also have to make sure that I'm going to be grossing enough to, to make it worthwhile for me to have someone. So I think it's kind of up there but um yeah i think just like keeping on what you're doing and stuff too is just like really important like it's like it's so easy to get discouraged like it's so easy to get discouraged and especially when you're working by yourself and like you're out there and you're like oh what's the point like like right now i, I have to overproduce because um especially my aggregator it has the potential to sell quite a bit more products so say i could move 50 pounds of one crop at one time but the only way to have um, that 50 pounds listed is I have to overproduce 50 pounds, right? So if I have four different crops and I need to have, if I need to have 50 pounds of each ready to go. So for these sales that like, I don't know, um, I have to have like 200 bed feet extra every week of like product that I don't know that I'm going to sell. And it's like dealing with that uncertainty of like what's going on. And it's just like, there's just a lot, there's just a lot. It's like, yeah, it's tough. No, that, I, it's funny hearing you talk about how you have to project like that and think about things in terms of bed feet uh, for production to meet demands uh, with customers is interesting to me because, you know, with us, you know, we're mostly focused on eggs and meat. 
mm-hmm. um, which is just a whole different economics and business. How, how would you, from your vantage point, contrast growing uh, vegetables versus raising livestock? Um, I, hmm. in, in what in what way? What kind well, of some parameters? I, I guess as, as you as you think about your business and what it requires, what do you see as some of those strengths that would actually get you to? You know, say, yeah, no, market gardening is the right way to go over, say, livestock. Um, well, definitely my system scales a lot better, I think. Um, like I was talking about before, I can add more bed feet, whereas you can't, ne- and without increasing all my infrastructure and everything, but you can't necessarily add more ducks or more geese without increasing your infrastructure. You're going to need to get chicken tractors or fences or something else, whereas me, I just have to put in another bed, Right. Um, so I think it, it definitely scales a lot better. I think that the I think that the return on investment is usually a lot faster. And um, after my initial input of money um, into my system, I think that my costs of like my expenses are way lower. Whereas you're going to be quite high still for feed. Like you're probably going to. How much are your eggs selling for? Uh, we're doing about five dollars for a half dozen, eight for a dozen. Yeah, yeah. So okay, eight for a dozen. You probably got like four or five dollars of feed in those eggs or mm, a little less than maybe that. less yeah, yeah, yeah. About, in, in, in the winter it's higher right um yeah yeah it, like yeah it's, it's probably about 325 in the winter it drops down i still haven't quite gotten a good number yet but as you know they're outside now on pasture it's probably down about two 250 yeah so say i sell a five ounce bag of greens for 315 um i can have my label eight cents um my bag is eight cents um, the seeds will be the seeds and compost, I think are like 25 cents. And then that's like my input costs into each of those bags. And so the, then the rest of the money that I spend on my farm is amortized over however many extra bags that I do. So like my expenses per bag is quite a bit lower than your expenses per dozen eggs. So I think that that's another thing is that like, I don't have to have so much money. I don't have that, like that big of cash flow like rotating through my business so much, um, which definitely makes things a bit easier when everything doesn't cost you a thousand dollars. Gosh, man, I should talk to you earlier. I, I, I hearing the economics of it. Yeah. It's, it's tough because I mean, it, Right before I came in here to do this interview, I was working outside trying to build another chicken tractor, which is, you know, that's like yeah. 250 bucks in infrastructure. That's, oh, yeah. you know, probably two days worth of building. It's just, it's it's a lot. It's, it's hard. But totally. I, I, guess, I guess the, the one advantage I, I feel like I do see is if I can get to a model where I have the customer base and the scale, yes. I, th- I think the profitability really is there and, and, and you can earn a bit more. Just oh, in totally. terms of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can do well. Well, the other thing too is that it's all about context. Like I had a, the very first, my this guy, Jesse, taught me this. He did my PDC. He ran my PDC, Jesse the Mew. But he, one of the first things he said, he's like, he's like the running joke in agriculture is every single answer to every single one of your questions is it depends. It depends, right? So the answer is it depends. So for me, I have local stores here where I can move my greens, but you're way out in the boonies, right? So yes. you're gonna have a yeah you're gonna have a really tough time moving the volume of vegetables that I move, um, especially every week. Especially if you only had four products, right? You'd have to get every every single person in town and maybe every single person in the next couple towns buying it for for you to do that. And so with your eggs, um, you don't necessarily have to worry about those expiring, right? You don't have to worry about steady production so much because you know you you whatever you have you have thirty you have twenty ducks you're gonna get fifteen eggs. Right, like it's it's pretty it's pretty steady, pretty steady. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
but but for like for so yeah so for you being out in the boonies and stuff a little bit i think that it's a it, like the ducks thing makes more sense than having the vegetables where you'd have to get a refrigerated truck and you'd have to do this and you'd have to do that and drive two hours like how how long are you going to drive all the time to to go to a market right to make right oh, it's, i mean it's like three hours to montreal three hours to boston yeah, five exactly. in new york like that's that's a lot of yeah, yeah. windshield time a lot of schlepping. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, but but I think it does come down to at the core of it of your context drives so much of what's going to work in terms of your business model. And I don't even think I've like found my business model just yet. And and I think you need to have almost a certain measure of patience to, to try to get there, too. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. And it, like, yeah, Seth, Seth Godin needs a marketer, but he talks about the dip. And it's like the dip between like when your idea like you you have this idea when you start working on it and then when it finally like takes off kind of like where you want to. And it, it, it It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to get through that dip. Like, you don't talk about it. Like I, I used to do mixed martial arts and I had I had like six fights and like I was really I'm not an athlete. Like I like it, t- it took me a lot of time and skills and resources to try to figure out how to do all that. And um, and like I always thought that like that would be the hardest thing that I will ever do because I like, I sucked at the beginning. I, I lost my, my first, like my first three fights. I think I was like one in, or my, yeah, I was like one in three in my first like four fights. So like, I wasn't doing very good. And then like, I won my last couple of fights and I was like, okay, I figured this out. And like, like this is probably like, you know, I felt, I felt like, like well, that's why I was kind of saying like, it was felt like a rite of passage for me because I was like, I really felt like I kind of mastered this really complex thing. And like, and that kind of gave me the confidence to start my farm because I was like, this will not be as hard as doing martial arts. This is not going to be as hard as fighting another man. Um, but it is. It's just different. Like the stress of not having money and the stress of like the financial pressure, like I do really, really poorly with that. And so it like, it, yeah. And like, and like I feel every time like that I have like maybe like bags that go out that like they don't look that good or like, um, you get like a, maybe like a little complaint from someone like I feel shame, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, like, I feel like personally, like, like really bad. Like I get like really down on myself and like dealing with those emotions and stuff is just like another thing. It's just like, it's complex. It, it's hard in a different way. No, that, that makes sense. You know, you are one of the best read people I know. <laughs> Definitely one of the best read people in, in farming for sure. Um, why do you think it is that agricultural in general doesn't necessarily attract the best and brightest even though it's you know from a society perspective such a critically important role um because well definitely because you don't make as much um you don't make as much money 100 percent. like i could make more money doing something else so it's like i have to have all uh, ulterior reasons for wanting to do something right i have to have different reasons like if i can make like i really feel that i could probably make a hundred thousand dollars working for someone else like pretty easily like I said, like I'm a hard worker. I'm willing to work overtime, willing to work on weekends, all this stuff. Right. And like, I think I could, my dollar like thing, like, I think I could make anywhere from like 60 to a hundred thousand. So it's like, why am I having my farm where I'm making considerably less than that? And it's like, cause I'm driven by, I'm driven by ulterior motives. I'm driven by different things and rather than just being about the money, I do want to have a comfortable amount of money, but I, I, do, I do want other things, but, but I, it's, it's, but most people are never going to go through that. Right. You, you get into a relationship and, and your wife wants to have a nice house and stuff. And then all of a sudden you have kids and it's like, well, I can't, I can't do this. Right. I can't take this hit. I can't lose $30,000 a year doing this, especially like, like when you're, when you're young and you're, and you're building up your money, that, that money, that early money compounds so much later in your life. Right. So it's like, you're taking the hit at the beginning and it's just like, no, I don't think so. And I think that, I think that, the, that also these new farming models, 
whether it's like you're doing with livestock or what I'm doing with veg, um, it's new. It's like brand new. Like saying the last like five years, they've they've like there's really been big strides in like making these small farms profitable. And I don't think number one, they're not educated about it. Like they don't understand how it would all work out. So I think that's a problem. But I also think that just the potential for to earn more doing other things is is there. And it's like for for someone that's well read and intelligent, it's just like you're gonna go play in the dirt. <laughs> like like I don't know, right? Like that's the first thing every time I have my like every time I tell someone that I have a farm, that's the first thing they say. They're like, "Oh, that's a lot of work. Oh, that's a lot of work." I'm like, "Yeah, it is, but it's like it's very like it's very fulfilling. It's very rewarding." I bet you that most of the time, at the end of the day, that I'm much more fulfilled than like I feel very good and content at the end of the day. Like when I put my head on the pillow and go to sleep, and like it's been a hard day working and got to do all the things that I wanted to do. Got to take my dog for a walk. Got to go work out and train and do all these different things. Um, I think that I feel much better than I did when I was working and like an, uh, a construction job or an office job or, or whatever I've been doing. Hmm. What did your family say when they, when you told them, yeah, I want to try to take some of this land and, and, and grow food and sell it? Um, I always do weird things. So they're just like, I'm the black sheep. I'm the black sheep. So they're just like, okay, like, uh, okay, that's what you're doing now. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, they're like, okay. They're like supportive, but like, uh, yeah, definitely not, definitely not their thing. They're definitely like meat and potatoes, like, uh, like eating very rich, healthy f- or not un- unhealthy foods for sure. Like they still don't eat very much of my greens. Like I'll, I'll bring in like big bags, right? And there's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty funny, but no, they're, they're, uh, supportive. I have a very good family. I have a very good support system. Um, but we definitely make a lot of jokes and stuff. And so I definitely get, um, I definitely get like ribbed on and like uh, made fun of for sure, um, but it's definitely 100% like my own thing. Like they're not like, not interested, they're not interested in it at all. Like I don't usually, I usually don't talk to them about um, anything that's going on in my business. I just try to keep that like pretty separate. Like if they ask something, I'll tell them. But like, yeah, I try to keep like my family and my my work stuff like pretty pretty segregated. <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it must be tough, you know. I mean, because you're you're still growing on their land, and, and you're right there with them. So, like, how do you try to create some boundaries with that? Um, well, so I um, I had purchased part of the property from them, um, so like I owned it, part of it, right? And they were they are not doing anything. So we have this thing in in British Columbia called the Agricultural Land Reserve, and what that is is the government um, designated because most of the BC is huge it's like it's it's really big I think it takes um I think it takes almost 24 hours to drive from the bottom to the very top and it's like eight hours drive or no maybe like 10 hours drive wide the whole way so it is absolutely huge but the entire population um like 85 percent I think lives between um Victoria to Hope which is all in this tiny little bottom segment one valley where the Fraser River is so the BC government designated um, a certain amount of land in BC as agricultural land reserve and what that means is is they've set aside the arable land so it has to be farming so if you're not farming on it you get you have to pay massive amount of taxes um, so what people will do out here is like my parents brought bought their property as more of like an investment property um, they were thinking that like they were going to build a house on it and then they'll, they'll sell it eventually and, and downsize and do all that stuff. Um, but so we've always had a local dairy farmer, one of the dairy farmers down the road, take our land and put, um, hay and co- or yeah, grass and corn in it. Um, and then we get the tax break because he's farming it. 
So that's like a pretty regular thing. So so most of our land was just um, getting used by a farmer anyways. So it wasn't like I wasn't like taking over anything. Like the only thing that I took over, I took over a little lawn around my house, but it was like my lawn around my house anyways. So it like didn't affect them. And like I'm the only one <laughs> I'm the only one that does stuff outside. Like I prune all the trees, I mow the lawn, like I do all of that stuff and everybody else is like pretty content doing like they go golfing and stuff, so they like doing like that type of stuff. But like I'm the one that does stuff like at our house. So it was pretty it was pretty easy. Like it was pretty seamless, I think, for like that. Like it didn't like affect anyone. I tried to not I tried to make my farm not intrusive. But I also did a lot of things like I like I don't have a farm stand at my house cuz I don't want people coming over because like cuz like my brother lives here, my cousin lives here now. Uh, my mom and dad all live here. We have people over all the time and like I didn't want to like make it a thing where like people are coming over to get greens and stuff all the time and like in our driveway and at our house and on our property, right? So like I did things like that where I made like conscious choices where it's like no, I'm not going to have a farm stand. Like I'm not going to be doing these things. That, that, that makes <laughs> that's probably a wise choice to kind of give you a little space. Yeah, I think that well, I think that I think that generally well, people in my life, they like love me and want me to do my stuff, but like you can you can make something high maintenance for someone or you can make things easy on someone. You know what I mean? Like like my dad has helped me build my walk-in cooler and he I put a washing I put a little uh, area on my shed it's called like I just call it like a tool storage area now I guess but like um, but he helped me do that but other than that I have not asked for any help at all on my farm I don't ask them to harvest I don't ask them to water I don't ask them to do anything but when I do need help like with that cooler like with that washing station 100% they are there for me because I've made my I've made it so low maintenance for them that that they're willing to help but I don't ask for it unless I actually need it hmm Talk to me a little bit about, you know, for somebody who's very business minded and thinking about how you drive profitability of of a farm, when you see the homesteading movement, what's what's your reaction to it? Oh, I love it. I love it. That was originally that's what I thought that I wanted to do, too. But I think you have to be very cognizant that a homestead takes money. A homestead takes inputs. A homestead is not going to make you money. Um, I think that there's kind of this thing called a farmstead. And what a farmstead is, is I would say that that's like, that's like you have a homestead that's profitable, but it's not a business, right? You might you might turn $1 into $2, but you're not necessarily going to be making your $50,000 a year salary on it. Like I have, I would say that I have a farm business, right? So we got like homestead, farmstead, and like a farm business. And I think that those three things are are separate. I think that those three things are, are different. But I love the homesteading thing. But I think that you just need to be very. I just don't like it when I don't like it when people say they have a homestead, but they're talking like they want to have a farm business, and they're like they're like oh farming doesn't make money, and it's like no farming does make money. You don't make money on your farm like the way that your farming doesn't make money, but farming makes money your farm doesn't make money. And I think you have to be very um, conscious of that. But like, yeah, I, no, I, I, I'm, I'm in love with the homestead thing. Like I, like I have friends that are homesteaders and it's just like, I love going to their houses and they have like permaculture farms and there's, you know, pigs and goats and it's just like, it's great, it's fun. Right, well, and, and that's where right now I, I would clearly put myself in the farm setting place where I have a couple of enterprises that, you know, make just a little bit of money. And yeah. then, you know, I've got other things like the, we've got a whole, permaculture orchard right and that that's not making any money now maybe 10 years from now but that's like a long ways off and 
yeah, it's it's kind of a nice balance, and some of the farm income helps offset some of the homestead costs. But I'm not living off of my income from the farm. No, and I, 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 but that's fine. Like I don't take my so I don't take my self worth out of how much money that I make on my farm. Like I don't take my self worth out of what I'm doing. Like I take my self worth out of like how I'm treating other people, how are my my relationships, how am I acting? Like am I acting with grace? Am I acting with poise? Like am I doing all these things? But like the amount of money or the amount of crops that I grow on my farm, like those things don't make me who I am. Like those things don't make me a good person. See, part of the problem with people who come into it with ideologies and stuff is that they think that 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 is making them a good person. So it's like. It's like, oh, like, and that's part of where that entitled, I think, I believe that's part of where that entitlement comes from is, is like, it's like, I'm doing all these things, right? And so because I'm doing all these things that are good, like I am a good person. And then so when they don't make the amount of money that they think they should be doing because they're being a good person, um, they get very like, it, it's very like, uh, it's, it, it kills you. It kills you because, because like, yeah, you just like, you feel like so uh, like overwhelmed and it's like, can't these people like see what I'm doing and stuff? But it's like, no, like, like I think, I don't think I'm a good person because I farm. I think I'm a good person and I farm. Or maybe I, maybe I just, I should have phrased that differently. I should have said, I have the potential to be a good person <laughs> and I farm. <laughs> I think you're a good guy. Yeah, you know? <laughs> no, but, but I, I think that that's really good advice because you know, whether you're farming or you're just a hermit living off the side of a mountain or you're working in an office job, none of that really actually dictates whether you're a good person or not. It's all in how you act and it's all in how you behave and all how you treat people. That's where that should come from, not from what your vocation is or your job is. Totally. Do you know what uh, Do you know what a blue on blue is? No. Okay. It's a, it's a military term, but it means like friendly fire. Right. So like killing a brother and sister, fratricide, like whatever you want to call it. Um, but there's a lot of blue on blue in the whole egg space. But I believe that that's where it comes from. I believe that it comes from because like I want to be a good person or whatever. You, you know, you're coming into it with like these ideologies and stuff. And it's like it's like this other person is not as good as person as I am because they're doing X, Y, Z. Right. They, he's only got four crops. He's only got ducks. He's only got geese. Right. He's not rotating them enough. Da, 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 da. But I think there's a lot of blue on blue. But I, I, th- I think that's where I think that's kind of where that entitlement comes from. But like, you know, especially being on YouTube and stuff, I'm sure, you know, that uh, you, you get comments all the time. Right. About like and, and it's just like it's like that video wasn't even about that. <laughs> you just get crazy stuff. And it's just like uh, it's hard not to take all that stuff personally. But like when I see that blue on blue, like that's kind of where I think that's kind of where I think it's coming from a lot of the time. And like I just try to like not take that stuff so personally, I guess. And like uh, just try to look at it like, OK, this guy's, you know, OK, he thinks he's doing the right thing or whatever. And everybody is entitled to their opinion. So, yeah, yeah look, and as I'm a person who is, you know, especially as I'm new to this and learning, I'm constantly screwing stuff up. Oh, and yeah. and <laughs> it, it took me a very long time to get used to people saying you're doing this wrong or you're doing that <sighs> wrong and not like letting that trigger like a defense mechanism and, and actually just be like, nah, maybe they're right. And, and like take it with stride and listen to it. But I think the yeah. flip side of that is, to your point. You know, you don't have to be on the attack with people. They, especially if their intentions are good, understand that and offer maybe a little helpful advice and go from there. Oh, totally. How have you found working through that? Um, <laughs> I think just a, a lot of repetitions. You know, I think yeah. the, the first couple comments I remember ever getting on like a YouTube video where somebody's like, you did this. Like, God, what was it? It was, um, 
Oh, I was I was brooding the the ducks. Like I just got them on the farm. Just showed up first time I was ever brooding any sort of poultry whatsoever. And yeah. I had the light set up the wrong way, and it was almost nice. too close that it made like a fire hazard. And some guy <laughs> said sent me a comment, and a couple other people sent comments like, you know, your lights are too far. You're gonna burn your barn down. And I'm like. Yeah, you know what? Forget you, man. I I, I don't um, care. And and it wasn't until I actually stepped back and like, no, they're actually right. That's a fire hazard. I should fix that. That yeah, yeah. Once you start to see value in it, you get a lot more comfortable. But it's it still triggers that like was it like an amygdala, amygdala hijack? It, it, oh, it yeah, does yeah. that for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I get upset and hurt feelings and all of that. Yeah, I'm the king of doing that. I'm just like, okay, I won't look at comments for like an hour, and then like I'll see a new one come in. I'm like, oh no, my, my feelings—they <laughs> hurt so bad. But but I, I mean, it all comes down to the intent, and and I mean, I think yeah, there's some people who maybe not have the best intent in the world, but most people I find really are just trying to help, or really are just trying to offer a, a, a unique or useful perspective. Oh, totally. And I think too, a lot of times that um, that the the YouTube comments come a lot come across a lot more crass than people um, intend them to. Like, like so, I've been um, I've been practicing my writing. I've, I like write five hundred words every single morning, and like I've noticed how much more articulate and how much more um, like precise I am in my speech now that I've been doing that for you know whatever months and months and months. Um, but I see other people how they like they don't pick their words. They don't know what different words mean. Like what's the difference between like cute and pretty or beautiful. Like they, like they don't know when to use each of those, but like, but like when you start to be able to kind of hone those skills and like, um, be able to articulate things a lot better and a lot, a lot with a lot more clarity. I think that, um, that that goes away, but like on YouTube, it's just like, you know, some guy on his lunch break, just commenting and like, you know, he says something dumb, but I don't think that he intends it the way that usually it comes across. No, I, I think I think you're right about that. I think, too, you know, people don't intend it the way or intend to make you feel the way you feel. And you almost have to oh, remember oh, yeah. the way you react to it is the only thing that's on you. What they say is what they say. It's how you react that that's that's the thing that's within your your span of control. Totally. <laughs> so so actually, I did want to ask you though about stoicism and and you know it's one of those philosophies that's been around for thousands of years. But recently has has grown in prominence and, and people are focusing in on it more. What draws you to that school of thought? Um, well, uh, there's a book called uh, The Obstacles Away by Ryan Holiday, and that really kind of introduced me to it. And that was that sent me down the rabbit hole of, of doing it. And then he is he's one of my favorite writers. And so he um, yeah, he he's written a couple of other books about it. And there was just more content about it. But, yeah, I was really as soon as I kind of got into it, I was, I was really just drawn to it. It was just like the same thing where I had to call to farm. It was the, it was the same type of draw. I have that draw in me to certain things. I, I'm pulled to martial arts. I'm pulled to farming. And I was very pulled to stoicism. It seemed like there was like little nuggets of truth, nuggets of wisdom that, um, that were like deeply embedded in there. And I was just like seeing so much truth. And I think that, um, I think that sometimes when you, when you're finding ideas that, um, the best times, like when a book like really grabs you is when it's something that you were already thinking about, but just it's articulated in a way that it's already like what you were trying to think about. It's already where you were going, but like this book or this thing is like telling you about this. So I think that I was kind of at a spot in my life where like I was ready for this type of like, you know, what's inside of my control, what's outside of my control and like being a good person, trying to like work, work my way through all these different life things. And it was just like, yeah, it just like really grasped me. It was like, this, like I said, the same type of thing where I was called the farm. I felt like I was like called the stoicism. Hmm. And, and as you apply stoicism to farming, what 
connections and sort of mind frame does that put you in? Um, it definitely makes me try to think about being a good person. Like when we were talking earlier about like uh, about being a good person and that I'm not taking my I'm not taking my self worth out of that. Um, that's that's 100 percent from stoicism. Like I know that that like the things that I do. Um, in particular, meaning like business type things or like doing martial arts or whatever. Um, I know that those things are, are, are not the quality of my character. Um, when I was talking earlier about having the courage to see reality for what it is, not what you want it to be, that's one of the, that's one of like the central tenets of Sozin. It's one of the four main virtues, courage, courage to see things as they are, not, not as the way you want them to be, how you perceive things. So it's really just had an underlying current in kind of everything that I do. I, I feel like, I feel that all the things that I do right now all connect to each other and kind of make like a, like a more holistic picture where it's, where it's like someone could look outside and be like, okay, he's into, he's into farming he's reading philosophy and he does martial arts. Like those are like three completely separate things. But like, to me, they're all the same thing. And, and when you say the same, just in terms of the, the principles that you're applying to them or they all connect, they yeah, all connect. Yeah. yeah. So, so like, so I am in better shape because I'm trying to get in good shape to do martial arts so that I can have my best class to do my best at Muay Thai. But then because I've gotten in better shape, then I'm able to do more on my farm, right? And also when I'm like sparring, which is when you're, um, when you're like practicing fighting each other, um, then I have that sparring round. It teaches me to focus and be intense in what I'm doing. So then I take that and I use that muscle on my farm. And I work when I have to work and I unplug from my farm when I have to unplug from my farm at the end of the day. So um, and then like the stoicism thing just teaches me like that, that these things are separate and that they are a part of me, but they're not necessarily who I am. And so like, yeah, so I kind of see them all as being different, but they're all the same in that they, they all have threads into each other. Like, like stoicism teach me how to be a better person at the gym, be a good training partner for my friends, but it also teaches me how to be a good farmer. Right. And then like the getting in shape thing, it applies to everything and it makes everything way easier. So yeah, connected, all connected. Makes, that makes total sense. Um, for the person who is out there listening to this podcast and they are working an office job or working construction, but dreaming about someday starting a farm of their own, what, what advice would you have for them? Um, start start something start doing something you got to get your ideas out of your head and into reality so maybe the only thing you can do right now is grow a couple of plants on your windowsill maybe you can grow like a tray of microgreens maybe it's something like that but you have to start you have to start doing something you have to get these ideas out of your head and and action attracts more action like when i first started my farm i was only doing like like maybe like 45 dollars in pea shoots a week um but I took that one restaurant sale that I was doing, $45 every single week, and I sold there for like three months. And then at the end of that three months, then I started going to other restaurants. And I said, hey, I've been selling every single week at restaurants, at a restaurant, um, like you can, you know, you can start to trust me now. You know what I mean? So I already had like that social credit. And then after, then I, you know, I got other restaurant customers and things are going in. And all of a sudden, now it's been like six to eight months where I've been doing something. I've had sales every single week. Started going to um, my grocery store guys and I said, hey, guess what? I've been selling every single week at restaurants for an entire year. 
and I didn't say that I was only doing like maybe like $50 at a time, right? Maybe that week was only $50, but it just proved to them that I was like serious about this and that I could do it every single week. And it's like, it's like, and then all those things build and I could have never got there if I didn't start with those pea shoots, those sunflower shoots and those radish shoots at the beginning. I was only doing like six trays. So those six trays have turned into me having an entire business, but you have to get it out of your head and into reality in, in some fashion, in some manner. And, and when you do that, I think it starts you on your path and then you'll start to find like-minded people. So things like happen, things start to happen like this, where it's like, this is already the third podcast interview that I've done this week. I, I did one with Terrence Leahy of the Intellectual Agrarian. I did one with Diego Fooder, and now I'm doing one with you. But it's like none of those things could have happened if I just didn't start that initial thing. And I don't think that you can find out where you're going, but you don't think, I don't think you can, sorry, I don't think you can know where you're going, but I think that once you start to go, it's like, it's like this magical quest where like you, you acquire allies, you acquire friends along the way, right? You meet your Han Solo and your Chewbacca's and all that, right? And they, they come to you in kind of this mystical, mystical, crazy way where it's like, it's like now my entire friends group is different than who I was. And now I have all these virtual online relationships with all these different people and creators. And it's like, it's fun. It's like, I feel like, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. It's, it's really wild. I know that conversation went like a thousand miles an hour in about a million different directions, but I got to say, I really enjoyed talking with Scott. I found his insights very compelling and there's a lot to learn. And I'm going to take a lot of that with me as I try to make that transition from having a farmstead to an honest to goodness farm business. If you want to learn more about Scott and see what he's doing, I will leave links to his stuff down in the show notes, but uh, be sure to check out. He's got a YouTube channel where he puts out pretty regular content and updates about how he thinks about his farm business. It's uh, Scott Hebert on YouTube. You can also check him out on Instagram. I think it's uh, Flavorful Farms. But again, I'll leave all the info down in the show notes. And that's it. I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. If you guys want to help us out and you're enjoying this content, please, please, please leave a review uh, wherever you're getting your podcast. Every rating and every review we get helps us. It helps more people find us. It helps more people uh, learn about these stories that we're telling here on this podcast. And if you want to get in touch with me, uh, feel free to join the Goldshaw Farm Facebook group. Uh, it's Goldshaw Farm Podcast, uh, just in, in Facebook groups. Or you can just shoot me an email directly at goldshawfarm at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we are putting out some pretty interesting content right now, particularly focused on the the meat geese operation that we're starting up. And, and you know, we just have some baby goslings, and uh, they're quite an experience, I gotta say. So uh, be sure to check us out at Goldshaw Farm on YouTube. And uh, with that, I will ask my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, to please play our theme song. It's got a soul. This hero farm, it falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms. A city life yet had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep. 
inside its arms The love is here at Gold Shop Farms The love is here at Gold Shop Farms